What's going on, everybody? My name is Captain Ozzy with Marker 23 God Service, and you're listening to the Eastern Current Fishing Podcast. Today, I got the chance to sit down with Captain Dustin Pack of Fly Tide Charters in Tampa Bay, Florida. Captain Dustin and I chat about conservation, fishing dock lights at night, and a few tips for catching highly pressured redfish on a fly. Hope you guys enjoy, and thanks for listening. The registration is now live for the Eastern Current Online Angler Series Redfish Tournament. Click the link in the show notes to sign up today. This will be an artificial-only spring redfish series. You can fish all three tournaments in the series or just one. The tournaments will be hosted through the iAngler app, and you can participate from any state. The first tournament will be March 24th and 25th with an online captain's meeting the night before hosted through our Facebook page. The redfish tournament will consist of your longest three redfish per day under 32 inches. This is just the start of our online angler series and we're excited to bring you many more tournaments for redfish, speckled trout, flounder, and more. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast where my guide buddies and I discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning. You will also be able to find extra video content that you can't find on YouTube. If you've loved listening to the Eastern Current podcast, subscribing to our Patreon is a great way to help support the show. Well, Captain Dustin, I appreciate you carving some time out of your day to sit down with me and chat a little bit. Um, Before we jump into all the interesting topics we got to cover, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got into fishing, and and how you ended up where you're at. Right on. I'm Captain Dustin Pack. I'm a full-time fly fishing guide in Tampa Bay, Florida. Um, I'm from Florida originally. I was actually born in Fort Myers, about two hours south of Tampa, where I am now. Uh, but I was raised in the Tampa area. I moved here when I was about four or so. Um, and then just growing up, well, the story the same as a lot of people, you know, growing up here, bass fishing, pond hopping with my friends and stuff. And um, I didn't really have anybody in my family that were big time fishermen. Um, my dad was a uh, bluegrass musician. Uh, he passed away when I was younger, though. And then my mom, uh, she... She did a lot of outdoor stuff. She used to break horses and ride dressage and stuff like that. Um, and the barns that she would ride out of were actually along uh, two two of them were right along the hill, the, the Alafia River here. And so she would take me to the barn, and then I would all that bass fishing turned into like brackish river fishing um, along the Alafia River, <laughs> and. Just learning as I go, trying to figure things out, throwing frozen shrimp and hot dogs, catching stingrays and catfish. And then if I catch the, you know, the redfish every now and then, I got this huge, like, my heart would race and everything, (laughs) you know, just because it's not a catfish and it's not a stingray. So, um, and it kind of grew from there. 
And, uh, yeah, I was actually a mechanic for a long time. And then we could talk about that too, but I was a mechanic for a long time until I, uh, made full time fly fishing my, my career. Yeah. How was that transition from, from full time mechanic to full time fly fishing God? Um, it was, it was actually, I owe a lot of credit to my, my buddies and stuff at Mercedes or I worked Mercedes Benz of Tampa. Um, they were really cool. And, and the, I was there for 19 years actually. And, uh, they were very accommodating when it came to being able to go part-time there and being able to do part-time guiding for a while. till I evolved into it full-time, um, cause the demand for, skilled mechanic to toot my own horn, but skilled mechanics, a lot of years under your belt. I went to NASCAR at a motive school in North Carolina. And, uh, so I kind of had that under my belt that to be able to kind of demand almost what I wanted to. And then, uh, that they gave me the leniency to be able to do it. And that's what, cause you don't just start guiding and, you know, you have a full play of clients and everything, especially starting from scratch. Like I was, um, right. So you don't just, start with a bunch of clients and you're just go, 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 especially here in, in Tampa for the fly fishing game. You know, we have a great fly fishery, but it's not like the keys, you know, it's not, you're not going to be doing 300, 250 trips a year. So, and eventually gradually, you know, gradually grew and grew and grew. And then I got a good client base enough where I was able to uh, leave the mechanic stuff. And I've been doing the guiding stuff for seven years now. Oh, nice. Um, and I would love to touch on the, the Tampa Bay fly fishery a little later on, but yeah, first of all, I would like to say, I think, you know, if there's anybody looking to God or, or anything of the sort, part-time is the way to go. That's the same way I did it. I, you know, I was able to, um, work at a fire department for a year and and part-time guide, which is a pretty gnarly schedule. You know, you got some time off and stuff like that and be like, okay, I can do this. But I think in you can correct me if I'm wrong. The bottom line is that transition into full-time guiding is terrifying. Oh, um, very terrifying. At least it was for me. Um, oh, yeah, I agree. You know, you're kissing security goodbye. You're kissing benefits, all this other stuff. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm probably beating a dead horse. I'm sure the listeners have probably heard this story before, but it, it can be pretty scary. But at the end of the day, if that bug has bit you, um, it's almost something you have to do. You know what right. I mean? But um, yeah, you, it's very difficult. Cause like I was saying, you don't, you have a security of a paycheck every week. And I had that forever. You know, I knew I was going to get paid. Uh, I was lucky enough to be flat rate. So I just got paid by the job I was there. And then, so, but I had a paycheck rolling and rolling and rolling in. And then the guiding thing, you know, especially here in say August and September, our slow season, you know, I'll go, you know, a week without barely any money. And then you just kind of get used to that and kind of get used to hibernating your money after tarpon season. Cause most of my income comes in those three or four months of tarpon season. Right. Right. Um, so that's a big transition. So a couple things right there. I, I would love to hit on number one. Um, I am not surprised. I didn't know that you were a mechanic <laughs> before guiding. Um, uh-huh. but I followed you for quite a while. And I'm not surprised, like watching you on social media or just, is just knowing you in general. Uh, I'm not surprised that you were a mechanic, <laughs> oh, yeah. dude, because you were the, probably the first one, at least on my, you know, my little world or my little radar that was like, 
this is how you do your own maintenance. This is how I oh, run yeah. my boat. This is how I customize everything. You were probably the yeah. first one on my radar, at least, that was able to articulate, you know, all these small things outside of the water that the uh, that gods are doing. You know, we're doing our own maintenance. We're doing our own wax right. job detailing. Um, and, and the customization that we do on our rigs and I was like, man, that's genius. He was, he was among the first, <laughs> but it makes so much sense that you were a mechanic because you're, you're able to show that and articulate that. And, and um, to, no surprise at all. I mean, kudos to you on the social media platform for, for showing that. And, and I mean, that's what sucked me in at least. I was like, oh, you know, oh, I appreciate it. you know, I've always known things like that, but I've never known how to word them. So yeah, no surprise. Yeah, well, that's what, you know, so many people, you know, you see the same things on social media and stuff and, and social media is what it is. You know, there's good, there's bad, there's all kinds of, you know, stuff in between. And, um, but everybody, you know, posts photos and everything. And that's awesome because that's how you build a business. And I was like, how can I help people and not just regurgitate this thing? And I still post, you know, fishing photos and all that kind of stuff, obviously. Uh, but what can I do a little bit different that can help people out, you know, and doing your own maintenance saves you a ton of money. Changing the oil on your motor is not that hard and chart spark plugs and stuff. You just get it step by step. So I started there. And like you said, I got a lot of good feedback from that stuff. Um, just little tips and, and stuff like that. And uh, it worked out pretty well. It seemed to help out a lot of people. Yeah, dude. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm full-time fishing guide full-time uh i would say i i can't claim full-time fly fishing guide i do spend fishing trips but i spend prim- uh-huh. primarily of primarily i do side fishing uh but nonetheless i'm like that's a pretty good tip <laughs> you know like <laughs> i do it full-time and even still I'm, I'm learning stuff and picking up stuff um oh yeah for so. sure you're always going to be learning new stuff and people are always going to come up and innovate new things and you know, a lot of people keep them to themselves and that's fine. And, um, there's some things that I still hold, you know, to me and I'm not going to let people know about them, but the <laughs> generic, the, the general gist of stuff, little, you know, little tips and tricks and, and things that you could do to help you out on your day to day on the water. I'll, I'll share those. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a good buddy of mine said, he's like, I will always be willing to let, like, let other people know tackle shop knowledge. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not gonna spoon feed anybody, you know. Like I'm not gonna be like, all right, on this tide, be right here. But I'm always willing to, right. you know, give people tackle shop knowledge, like how to set your right. boat up, you know, how to be more successful, like be stealthy, don't stomp on the boat, you know, have your right. net red, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, and if there's little like, if there's like gear or something that I find, it doesn't have to be any business or company that I'm affiliated with either. If there's something that I find like little spool holders for for a leader line and stuff like that and i'm like man this is really handy other people should this should be out there you know people should know about this it's a very easy thing to have and cheap to buy and it'll help a lot of people yeah and uh like one of the early things i had was a scientific angler spool holder and i got like i don't know how many thousands of comments and stuff like that about it i'm like that's all it was just me showing it in the inside of my hatch door yeah uh, and I mean, I have no affiliation with Scientific Angler whatsoever. But what uh-huh. a, what a genius um, add to a boat to have all your tippets. Oh right yeah, there. I mean that's such a good example, dude. 
That's a right. Root, that's I a, use that thing all the time. I'm using it right now. <laughs> I'm getting rigged up for a trip tomorrow, and I just used it right now. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome, man. It, that's yeah. awesome. Um, but before we go any further, man, uh, tell me a little bit about your fishery and where mm-hmm. you're out of, and and kind of walk me through your year a little bit. Okay, so I'm in. I guide in the winter time um, in Tampa Bay. I live just north of downtown Tampa, about a half a mile, um, and we have our fishery here is so i will go against anybody that says that we don't have the toughest redfish in the country to feed a fly to i'll hold our redfish is the most difficult fish by far redfish to feed a fly to easily um but it's challenging but it's also very rewarding and it is um you know if you can do it here you can do it anywhere so when it comes together and you get it to happen it's, it's magical here so uh the winter time is basically all redfish and then um, spring and fall, we'll have, uh, you know, a lot of big jacks and snook fishing pretty good, especially at night. Um, our trout actually took a big hit during Piney Point. We can hit on that too later, but we had a big pollution problem. Um, and then summertime, April, May, June, July, it's go, go, go all full-time tarpon. That's what everybody pretty much comes here for is the tarpon. I got you, man. And and do you have a favorite out of all on your full year? Do you have anything that you you like more or less? Uh, I love my passion is red fishing in the winter. That's oh, really? what I, I I love those fish more than anything. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because I grew up fishing for them, and but the sight fishing and redfish here, the fact that you have to, I tell my clients all the time that you have to make it their idea to eat the fly. You hit them in the head or hit them within five feet, they're gone. They're not going to eat anything. Right. So, yeah, you have to lead our fish by a country mile. you got to cross them up, and you got to move that fly the slowest you've ever moved a fly in your life to get them to eat it. Um, <laughs> it's super it technical. It's, exactly. It's super tricky to do, um, but it, it is my favorite thing to do. I mean, it's the, it's not 9,000 degrees outside, there's, and especially when it's really cold. There's not many boats on the water. Um, but with that too, my, the brunt of my money comes from tarpon season. So okay. tarpon is my favorite cause it pays me the most. Redfish is my favorite cause it's my passion. It's my favorite fish. Man, I, I could have, I, I, as a Tampa, Bla- a, a Tampa Bay guide, I could have mm-hmm. bet my next trip that you would have said tarpon. Like I've, that's what everybody says. That's what that's the majority of the of the answers that people get. And I do love tarpon. Don't get me wrong. I, I love them. And and but and a lot of times you get it's, it's. I mean, as hard as our red fishing is, it's a different kind of difficult for tarpon um, because you got to make that long bomb cast, and you have to. I mean, just the cast is one thing, but setting it's another, fighting it's another, getting into the boat's another. Um, so with that aspect, you know, since they pay my bills, I, I tarpon's my close second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it, man. I love that. Uh, like I said, I, I would have bet my next trip that, that Tampa Bay guide, if I would have asked that question, would have said, oh, tarpon, you know. Um, and there's not too many of us here that are full-time fly fishing guides. I would guess full-time there's only like eight to ten of us. Really? Yeah. And I would probably tell you that all other eight, nine, ten of them would tell you tarpon. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. I'm all about it. Um, so, a uh, couple, 
I keep saying there's a couple of things because everything you say, I'm like, man, there's four questions I want to ask on top of that. <laughs> fire, fire away, man. <laughs> um, but first of all, being um, here in North Carolina, we have redfish as well. That is probably, yeah. oh man, 80% of my business. Um, and right. we spend a lot of our winter months. And, and of course, we get the occasional summertime calls and whatnot uh, for uh, speckled trout and um have a pretty decent speckled trout fishery but if it's not speckled trout at least personally and i'm not speaking for all gods it's either big speckled trout or we're, we're red fishing we're sight fishing or fly fishing for redfish um, right so with that being said walk me through what it's like to to fish these high pressured fish these these picky fish you were you were talking about how tampa bay fly fishing for reds can be among the hardest to do um so if if you had some tips tricks or kind of walk me through what it's like to fish for those those picky fish those hard to catch fish right so we have um i mean it's a multitude of reasons of why our redfish are so picky and so mm-hmm. difficult to feed um our our fishery has is overall it's kind of a success story as far as like the past 30 years or so we our seagrass numbers were really decimated for a long time um so our estuate and then we've kind of dropped a little bit over time the past six or seven years we just got a report out that we've lost 27 percent of our seagrass in the past eight years um so habits yeah it's bad um so it's not as bad as it was you know back in the 90s early 90s late 80s we dropped so historically, Tampa Bay has around 40 plus thousand acres of seagrass. Wow. Um, yeah. And then, so that number historically in the fifties was around 40 to 45,000 seagrass acres. Well, in the late eighties, we got down to about 20,000 acres of seagrass. And that was from pollution, stormwater runoff, uh, sewage spills, you know, all kinds of nutrient pollution into the Bay. It killed all our, you know, that we have this kind of expensive or expensive richer area called Bayshore here in downtown and a lot of the houses were actually the the paint was dying staining because the pollution was so bad the houses on the water their their house paint was staining and their silverware was staining it was oh so my bad gosh. yeah so at that point a lot of people started to you know raise red flags and saying stuff you know once the rich people are affected then people start to listen <laughs> right so, uh, but then, you know, a lot of great environmental groups came from that and then we bounced back and we got back to that, almost that historic 1950s numbers to 40,000 plus seagrass sea acreage. And that was in 2016, we met that number. And then, so in the past seven years or so we've lost, we've dropped down to 30,000. So we're not as bad as we were, but we're going in the wrong direction. Right. And we had a huge nutrient, uh, leak into the bay not leak discharge into the bay from piney point which is a high nutrient wastewater discharge from a fossil gypsum stack um and we can get on that later but that's habitat loss so that's a big part of it uh, why our fish is so spooky there's also pressure from people like i said we don't have very many fly fishing guides here but we do have a ton of bait fishing guides here and a ton of anglers in general so our fish do see a lot of pressure um now, with that habitat loss, but we also still do have um, a ton of dolphins and a ton of ospreys. And I don't know if the ospreys and the birds, in my opinion, they do because they're constantly flying around and flying around. And if you have habitat loss, you know, with seagrass loss, and you find your, your redfish over sand instead of grass, 
and they're, you know, they sit out there like a sore thumb to mm-hmm. an osprey, of course, they're going to be on edge and spooky all the time, right? Sure. So, and then with the number of dolphins, they're always looking over their shoulder. Yep. Um, and then a lot of our fish have been caught before, you know, so they, they're on, I like to say they have PhDs in the art of knowing what not to do. <laughs> um, so you have to make a, like I said, you got to make it their idea to eat a fly. And, uh, yeah, that's just a mo- like multitude of reasons why, in my opinion, that they can't be so spooky and are so spooky. Yeah. So it's, it, it, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, I just to say that anybody that comes here, like I'll tell them, um, I, I, I fished a, a Kaylee with Costa for our tournament. Um, she's a, she's a good friend and she had very limited knowledge of fishing Tampa Bay. And she's like, I was telling her, I was like, our fish are difficult. And she's like, I don't know. Cause she lives over in the lagoon. Mm-hmm. she's like i'll probably put them up with ours and i was like all right wait till you see and after that she's like oh my god and i was like i told you <laughs> <laughs> right so it, it's kind of one of those things you don't really believe it until you get here but i said with that if you make it happen here it's magical it's unbelievable right because it's you know what you did is and people want to relate it to bone fishing in the keys and bone fishing the keys in my opinion compare the only thing that's harder for bone fishing the keys is actually seeing them uh, the bonefish will stop. They'll run, stop, and eat your fly. If our redfish are running, they're not stopping to eat your fly. You're not gonna if you get chased by a bull. You're not gonna stop to eat a cheeseburger. So they don't they don't stop to eat. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. If you had to walk walk me through like uh, tips and tricks for for catching, you know, like I, I'm on your bow, and I have mm-hmm. some a whether it be a school or a group or a single of picky high pressured fish. Uh, yep. What are some tips and tricks you would tell me to catch? Um, don't to breathe. Catch that fish? <laughs> don't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> don't breathe. No. And it also depends on the day too. So you know, if you have bluebird skies and no wind, the fish are going to be on hyper alert, right? If you have a little bit of wind and cloudy and a little bit of clouds out, they may be a little more comfortable. Um, so weather has a lot to do with it as well, uh, but. Pretty much what I tell my clients is every shot that you take with a redfish from the bow, you should be able to take from like the 12 o'clock position. If you pick up your foot and move it a lot of times, if that fish is within 60 feet, it's going to blow out. Um, so you got to have a good double haul. you got to have good eyes. you got to have good accuracy. Um, but every shot that you take should be from the 12 o'clock position. I'll tell you, you know, we work off the clock system. Sure. Um, you know, 12 o'clock, one o'clock, um, don't move your feet, trying your best not to move your feet, be as stealthy as possible and, uh, make your casting very rhythmic and very smooth. Don't force your cast because when people start to force their cast too much, the boat shakes and the boat wake and the, you know, the pressure difference from the boat moving left and right is going to blow them out too. That's right. So be, be as stealthy as possible and lead them by a country mile and, you know, it's about 80% skill and 20% luck for the most part um, because you have to make it, you know, you got to get that fly there and you got to, so if a fish is going down the line, you know, say we have a fish at 11 o'clock and it's going right to left, I'm going to want that fly either 9 or 10. And if we get it in the perfect position, that's what we need. But then at the same point, we need that fish to continue down that line. That's right. If the fish moves a little far to the right, a little far to the left, we got to be super stealthy and quick about getting that fly, stripping more line in and picking up and going again. Yeah. Um, I, I would totally So that's where the luck comes in. Um, yeah. And I, and I would venture to say 
you know, 20% luck, 80% skill. Inside of that 80% skill, and, and it's getting really detailed into the weeds, I would say 40 to 50% of that 80% is mental. Yeah. You know, you got to be, yep. I, I've seen multiple dudes, um, whether it be buddies or, or customers, whatever, uh, get on the bow and, and they can lay a 60, 70 foot bomb. Yeah. You, you let a uh, trophy fish swim by at 30 feet. And that, and I, I just recently told somebody on, on this podcast, on the show that, uh, I experienced the same thing the first time I tarpon fished. Right. So I had years of red fishing on the fly under me. The first time I saw a 120-pound tarpon swim by, I mean, I, it was brand new to me. Like, I couldn't get the fly yeah. out of the boat. Um, it doesn't look real. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it's a dinosaur, right? Like, yeah, it was It was yep. ridiculous. So, again, that's where that, you know, 40 to 50% mental comes in. Um, yeah. And I'll be the first one to tell you, if, if, if you were a client on my bow, I'd be the first one to tell you. Like, if you start rocking the boat and forcing your cast – I'm like, look, man, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice, but I want you to know it's coming from a very hypocritical place. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, oh, 100%. You need to tighten your core up, right, and stop shaking the bow. Like every false cast fish can feel in a you know, quarter mile away. Uh, I'm going to give you that advice, but I want you to know if I were on the bow, I would do the same thing. Um, yeah. So, yep. yeah, I can definitely be That's a hypocrite. It's it's easy to be a hypocrite as a guide, though. <laughs> oh yeah, that's why I, I tell people that's why I love to be on the back because I can I can put you on the fish, but then I can blame the angler for not catching the fish. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> you know, we- I went fishing with with a buddy last or a few days ago in Chazariska, and, and I I got on the bow for uh, you know, and uh, I blew a bunch of shots, and I'm like too close, too, and I'm you know I'm Tampa Bay guys, so I'm leading them by like 20 feet, and these Chazariska fish are just they're not as spooky. So he's like, get it within five feet. You got to go, you know, over and over, you got to keep reminding me. So I'm definitely guilty of it too. Yeah. I just recently had the same experience, dude. I went to Louisiana and, and fun fish for a couple of days. And, um, they were like, you got to force the fish to see it. Like put it yeah. between his eyes <laughs> and every, every single bull that come up, I wanted to lead it. And they were like, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. It, was, it was, it was just different, man. It was just, but it was humbling. And like I said, it reminded me just how much of a hypocrite I can be the 11 other months of the year. Do um, as I say, not as I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. But, yep. uh, so you do, you touched on, um, conservation in your area a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I would like you to explain a little bit about what uh, Tampa Bay Waterkeepers is and and your involvement with that organization. Yeah, so we uh, fight on the legal side of things for swimmable, fishable, drinkable waterways here in Tampa Bay. Um, we're in the uh, under the umbrella of the Waterkeeper Alliance. Uh, we're the Tampa Bay Division, obviously. Um, so we go after violators of the Clean Water Act. So any uh, business, city, county, municipality that violates the clean water, violates any part of the Clean Water Act and discharges something into our bay or pollutes our bay in any way, we will take these people to court and sue them for their violations. Um, we do a lot of uh, public outreach as well and education. 
um, when it comes to events and stuff like that to teach people about the estuary here in Tampa. Um, but then if we do go to court and we, we win and we get fines, all of our money that we win from court uh, goes to, so most of it goes to the Tampa Bay Estuary Program here. Uh, and they work towards sustainability and um, conservation efforts to restore Tampa Bay. So we've, over the past few years, we've raised five, over $500,000 for the estuary program for, wow. uh, yeah, for like seagrass restoration and shoreline restoration and uh, man-made reef and stuff like that. And that's how we work here. And I am, so we're a board of 10 and then we have a, a executive director, uh, Justin Trammell, who we hired about a year ago and he's done an amazing job and um, we're growing and growing and growing. And I'm, I'm the only guide on the board. Uh, but our, our board is made up of a, you know, a bunch of different, uh, people from all walks of life that just care about our estuary and what we do to preserve it and keep it for the next generation and, 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 you know, help out our, our, our wildlife pretty much. Yeah. So that's how we come about it. And that's how we do what we do. And it's catching on here in Tampa big time, you know, especially now that we get all of these, um, when we get this seagrass loss. You know, it's going all over the papers and stuff like that. So then people want to reach out and see how they can help and stuff. And, you know, the easiest way to help is pretty much, you know, talk to your friends and become knowledgeable on this stuff. Because the more people care, the more stuff's going to get corrected and fixed. That's exactly right, man. Um, I, I know a lot of people, at least in my area. So we have a growing uh, site fishery, fly fishery. And I, mm-hmm. I can see a lot of people who've been in it in a while, uh, even longer than me. So I'm just, I mean, not great at math, but since 2014, 2015 have been in this fishery, uh, at least hard, hardcore, I mean, in a boat, hardcore in this fishery. And I can see from, from then to now, there's people who were in it before I was, and um, they're starting to get kind of ill about, the, the popularity in our fishery. I'm like, look guys, that that's the solution. You know what I mean? Like the more people that love this fishery, the more people that are going to want to protect this fishery. And right. I've, I've shared this opinion before, but I, I think that the growing popularity, it, whether it be fly fishing or, or sight fishing or trout or whatever, um, the better because people want to protect what they love. Um, I think, right conservation is becoming cool again so the more people that are involved i granted i understand that you know three out of five times there might be someone in in the spot you wanted to go to um which ultimately is going to make force you to be a better angler and and go somewhere else but outside of that the good news is they're going to catch fish there and they're going to be fired up about it and they're going to be willing to protect it and they're going to show up at the Department of Marine Fisheries meetings, and they're going to be willing to go to bat and, and protect this this beautiful, awesome resource that we have. Um, so I mean, that's that's really awesome. Uh, but how did you get involved with with Tampa Bay Waterkeepers? How did that come about? Um, so a buddy of mine, Adam Fernandez, who is a great fly angler here, um, and he is an attorney here in Tampa. He actually uh, was on the board before me. We were, we had a board before our present board a few years ago that disbanded. Um, and then Adam and Megan Eakin started revamped the board about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago now. 
And uh, when they were looking for board members, Adam Fernandez actually talked to me and said that I should be, you know, get involved and sign my eyes on the water and stuff like that. So that was December of 20 2020. Yeah. So I've been on the board for a little over two years now. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I apologize if you can hear my smoke alarm. Did you hear no, that? No, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to throw my wife under the bus, but she's in the middle of making dinner. <laughs> let, the no rec- let the record show she's actually a great cook. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But, uh, man, that's, that's really cool about the water, you know, the water keepers and Tampa Bay water keepers. Um, what, tell me a little bit, cause I'm, I'm going to show my ignorance here. Um, kind of tell me a little bit about the red tide you guys recently had. What, what was that? And, and kind of how did it affect you and kind of walk me through that whole scenario? Yeah. So, um, we have, unfortunately for the state of Florida in general, we were high in, uh, phosphate, phosphate used for fertilizer. And to mine it and get it out of the ground, you pretty much destroy a wetland. Um, I don't, I can't, you could can have to Google how exactly how it's broken down and how the whole process of getting it out of the ground. But um, we are very rich in it. And there's multiple companies that run businesses here that work on fertilizers and getting it out of the ground. So we have these giant, what we call fossil gypsum stacks all around the state. Um, there's about, the exact number, about 25 of them or so um, around the state. And what they do is your byproduct of phosphate mining is this high nutrient rich wastewater called phosphogypsum. So there's no end game for phosphogypsum. They don't really have a way to treat it. They don't know what they can do with it. So they build these giant retention ponds to house the phosphogypsum. Um, and there's a bunch of active phosphogypsum stacks and there's a ton of uh, retired ones that just sit. And these giant, you think they're like big dump sites or whatever, and they're just giant mounds. They look like big hills with grass on the side, but in the middle is a, is a toxic wastewater. And there was one that was called Piney Point in the south part of Tampa Bay that has been sitting derelict and changed hands through companies over the decades. And it should have been capped and cleaned up decades ago. There's a paper trail a mile long of, of you know, all kinds of, of malfeasance and, and foul play and stuff like that when it comes to the, the stack. Um, right. And it's leaked stuff. multiple. Yeah. And it's all very, it's all in the public. You can Google it, find it all. Um, so it's leaked multiple times. This exact piney point phosphogypsum stack, it, it killed Bishop's Harbor, which is a, a natural preserve. Um, or sorry, didn't kill it. It leaked into it and killed a lot of stuff in it um, mm. a little while ago. So in 2021, uh, with the liner bre- breached on one side of the, the stack and it started to leak into the neighboring town, they were afraid the entire wall was going to collapse. So there was about 800 million gallons of this high nutrient wastewater in it. And um, they approved the discharge of, originally it was supposed to be 400 million gallons of that nutrient wastewater into the bay. And Fortunately, no, there's nothing fortunate about it, but they discharged 215 million gallons to 400 million gallons to get below the leak line or where it was breached. Right. So discharging 215 million gallons of this wastewater into the bay was the equivalent of doubling 80,000 fertilizer bags into Tampa Bay. 
Oh, wow. And yeah. So, and then two, three months later, um, that summer when the water warmed up, it created this giant red tide inside that started inside the bay and stayed inside the bay. So historically, mm-hmm. you know, you get your, your coastline red tides here in Florida, which they say is, you know, quote unquote natural, but they are to an extent natural. Um, but man has a big influence on nutrient discharges. It's like, you know, putting a steroid in it. So those shoreline and, and, and golf side uh, red tides don't historically come east of the Skyway Bridge. The Skyway Bridge is what the southwest point of the bay. It's the bridge that kind of splits in the middle of where Tampa Bay starts and where the golf ends. Um, so those red tides don't go east into the bay, the ones that run along the coast into Tampa Bay. Well, this one started inside of Tampa Bay and stayed inside of Tampa Bay. Right. And we started seeing dead fish left and right. Um, I mean, it was just mounds and mounds. They ended up picking up 1,700 tons of dead marine life. Um, that's just what they picked up, you know, so God knows how much it really was. Uh-huh. And I thought I was out of a job. I thought our, you know, our estuary was dead. I didn't know how many. You could have told me there's 1,700 tons of marine life altogether in Tampa Bay, and I believed you. Right. Because um, that's a, a lot. <laughs> so, um, that's a hard yeah, number I mean, to even fathom. I mean, I know it, 17 I mean, tons. It was, it was heartbreaking. I had, I have all these photos and videos of just dead. I mean, we had cobia. I mean, I've never seen a cobia die from, from red tide before. Those, they get up and go. We had dead triple tail trout. I never knew we had this many eels inside the bay. You know, it was just for miles and miles and miles of just dead fish because of these discharges. Um, so that happened and then it continued for months on end until it started to kind of dissipate a little bit. Um, tide started to pull it out a little bit, uh, but there's still a little bit of that discharge inside the bay. And over time, it kind of cleaned itself out a little bit enough where it was, was it killing everything in sight? And, and yeah, that was in 2021. And then we're still dealing with the ramifications of that. And a lot of that, is due to uh, it's caused our, our grass kill off too. Right. So, you know, we've lost 4,000 seagrass acres since 2020 alone. And I think a lot of that is from Piney Point. Right. Yeah. Um, how so, would you say your fishery is doing now? Um, overall, fish numbers are good. Uh, I think we're on, I mean, as, as far as the, the seagrass loss, you definitely notice it. it. It's worse in some areas than others. There's some shorelines and stuff that used to be vibrant, full of grass, and now it's just, you know, just sand. Yeah. Um, and there's other areas where there wasn't grass before, now there is. But there's definitely way less grass than there was. Obviously, you can see sure. it in the numbers. You can see it when you with your own eyes. Right. Um, but we still do have a lot of fish around. Our, our From two years ago with Piney Point, and, and um, now I think we are in a resurgence when it comes to fish numbers, at least. Uh-huh. Um, I really wish we would have a catch and release moratorium for our, our fish still. They closed redfish, snook, and trout for about three months after Piney Point, which I don't know what three months does. I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a very take, short part of their lifespan. <laughs> fish a little bit longer than three months to grow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I think that, like you were saying earlier, that conservation's kind of is popular now. So I think that old guard mentality of just catching and killing everything you, you can get is kind of, especially here at least is out the door. Yeah. You know, there's still people that keep their fair share of fish, but 
the guys that, that want to kill everything and then, you know, take the picture with 50 dead fish on the bow, those dudes will get pretty much reprimanded around here and shunned from the fishing community a lot of times because that's, we just, we realize you don't have an endless resource. Right. You know, it doesn't just go on forever. And if you just keep killing everything and killing everything along with your water pollution issues, there's not going to be anything left. And you can see it in the numbers. So killing everything just doesn't make sense. And when they closed, we had a red tide here in 2018 along the beaches, a really bad one. And that's where the Captains for Clean Water guys really got, you know, popular and stuff with what they're doing down there was during that red tide because they got hit so hard. Uh-huh. Um, so after that, they closed our big three, our redfish, nook, and trout for about two and a half years. And, you know, a lot of the guys, especially the bay guys, were very upset about it. But for two and a half years, those guys realized they didn't have to kill fish and fillet them and kill a bunch of stuff to stay busy. Those dudes still stayed busy. You know, you still kept, you know, if they found a triple tear or a cobia or a mangrove snapper or whatever it is, they could keep those. But those guys realized that they didn't have to play fish and they still stay busy. So I think that had a lot to do with it, my personal opinion, um, on becoming more popular of keeping the fishery closed. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to, keep, to keeping fish. Yeah. So. You know, I, I wish it was closed for a lot longer, but I, I do think that we are in a rebound. And, and this past year, I've had a pretty good season. Yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds like a pretty detrimental impact to your fishery, but it also speaks to your fishery. You know, people still call you Captain Dustin Pack. So your fishery was still good enough to take that kind of hit, and you still have a business. Um, yes, correct. And but we're could, fortunate enough here that we have, we have tides. So we're not like the lagoon where they're not very tidal influenced and if they have a pollution issue, it just stays in the lagoon. You know, we fortunately enough have tides that'll pull a lot of that stuff out over time. Right. Takes a little bit. It's crazy how mother nature will will reset itself, whether it be a hurricane or, you know, whatever the case is, tides. Um, Oh yeah. Mother nature is very resilient. If we get our foot off, we get our foot off her throat perfect way to say it. that's a really really good way to say it yeah um it it's pretty insane you know every fishery has its own battles you know we battle gill nets or inshore shrimp trawling um so it's really interesting and cool to hear how um other fisheries also have their own battles but just like your fishery and we still have a, a vibrant and, and lively fishery here even with the battles we have. So, um, again, that speaks to, you know, mother nature and how she, how resilient nature is. Um, yeah, but you you can see it in the Everglades down South here. Oh, you know, we've done, man's done so much to ruin the Everglades over the past hundred years, you know, and it keeps bouncing back and keeps bouncing back. We're finally, thanks to the captain's guys, people are finally paying attention to the issues and why they're happening and how, all the stuff they did make zero sense to try to dry up the Everglades and we're still have those, you know, those, those types of things implemented that it just doesn't. And then if we stop doing that kind of stuff, she bounces back pretty quick. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, but that, that's a super cool point to be made and a really reassuring thing to hear, uh, you know, about fisheries and, and stuff like that. But before we get any further, um, you early, you had touched on your tarpon season mm-hmm. uh, and I want you to kind of walk me through wh- what does tarpon season look like for you? What is, what does that entail? What's the scene? 
Um, what is it like on your side of things? Just kind of walk me through your, your tarpon scene in general. Okay. So, uh, our tarpon fishery or tarpon fishing typically starts at the end of April. Um, we fish the beach, um, shallow water, anywhere from like four to eight feet of water. Um, we use, usually I use an anchor system. I do have a trolling motor that for like windier days and rougher days I have to use because I can't pull the boat when it's lower, you know, 15 or 20 knots out of the West. And so, uh, we use a quick release anchor. We anchor up on the, on the shore, on the beach, and we wait for strings of fish to come to us, figure out what depth they want to be in on any certain day and, and, you know, line them up and have a client that can actually cast. And then if we could, you know, if the fish are just out of casting range, we, we pull off the anchor and I pull the client to the fish. Yeah. And that starts usually in, in late April and then goes all the way through late July. And then we also fish for them at night. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty much, and it's go, go, go time. I do anywhere from like five to eight trips a week. I don't do any weekends in the summer because it's mayhem when it comes to numbers of people. (laughs) So I, I want to keep my sanity and my hair from pulling out. I bought a megaphone actually, because (laughs) just for people on the weekdays. (laughs) Tell me about Um, that megaphone. (laughs) So I found out early on that waving my hands a lot of times doesn't do the job. Um, so if there's, you know, I don't know if you guys, if there's a jackass on the water that's just being a, a schmuck and running around or whatever, it works very well. Now you also have, you know, get families and stuff with kids and they just don't know any better. They have no idea what a tarpon is. They have no idea what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, but you could use that as an educational speaker, you know, listen, right. this is what we're doing. Please go that way. If you see anybody you know, doing what we're doing, just try to avoid us. You shouldn't be, you know, there's a big bar right here. You shouldn't be running over here anyways. And then if there's, you know, somebody running up and down the shore or a jet ski or whatever, just being a nuisance, then it definitely works that way too. Yeah. I found <laughs> that. Like, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I would just say you say different things to the jet skiers than you do to the family of four that are on their boat. Yeah, probably not podcast appropriate. No, <laughs> what you say to the probably. jet skier? <laughs> <laughs> probably not, but you can understand oh. what we would. Oh. Everybody has, all the fly fishing community has the same uh, mindset on, uh, on jet skiers. Oh, so. a thousand percent. <laughs> but um, I feel like, the you know, most of the time if I'm cut off by people who aren't gods, right, uh, recreational boaters, families, uh, even other recreational anglers. And I've said this before, I think. Um, I feel like it's not that they're trying to have ill intent. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think they're trying to be malice or, or cut you off. I just think they don't know. You're right. So they've not yeah. been educated on the etiquette yet. Is, is that what you guys yep. see? 100%. Yeah, there's the majority that don't mean, mean ill will towards us. They're not like, you know, and that's what I'm saying with the families and they're cruising by. And you can tell if somebody should know or somebody doesn't know by what boat they're running, what, you know, just what's going on on the boat. You can pretty much tell. Now, yeah. if there's a tower boat that's fishing and they run right by me, I'm going to let them have it because they know better. Yeah, sure. um, Right. You know, they shouldn't be running around me. I'm not going over there. I'm sitting in one place. You don't need to be running right next to me. It's ridiculous. Sure. Um, but you're very right. There's not ill will towards us but that's where the megaphone the educating megaphone comes into play too sure um you know, and whether, then yeah whether it be megaphones or this podcast or youtube or watching senior people gods and other things like that on the water i mean eventually they'll they'll figure it out um 
but I do. I'm all about a megaphone. You know what I mean? Like, hey, look, this is what I'm doing, and uh, yeah, this is the etiquette. This is this is what is normal in this area, and I would argue that every area is a little different with how you should approach it. So, yeah, that's right on, dude. Yeah, yeah, and and like you said, I mean, I learned too before I had the megaphone that I can only yell at so many people without losing my voice, <laughs> and. uh and then it doesn't really work well, and the megaphone's very, very, very loud. So I don't always use it. I don't use it every day or anything like that. Just usually if somebody's coming in hot or just being very malicious, then, then it comes out. Yeah, that's sick, dude. I might be uh, looking on the Amazon for megaphones. <laughs> it's, a great, it's, a, it's a great investment. Yeah, more so for <laughs> our wintertime redfish. Our wintertime redfish school up super, super tight. So you're getting schools of two, three, four, five hundred redfish. In these, in these oh, wow. schools, and they're super tight, right, shoulder to shoulder, yeah. in a specific area, and you'll get people, kayaks, boats, whatever, trying to come in, mm-hmm. and just they're really just trying to innocently, innocently slip by you. Yeah. <laughs> if I had a megaphone, like, hey, <laughs> you know, we're doing this over here, you know, whatever. Um, and I feel like ninety percent of the people would be like, hey, my bad, I didn't realize that's what was going on. So, oh, definitely. And your authority is much better with a megaphone. Like you look like you're in charge, you know. Yeah. So it comes across a lot more powerful. I, I might would just re- wear it around my neck for the for the uh, intimidation factor at the boat ramp. <laughs> I keep it on my platform. Like if I if I had to use it or whatever, I think I'm gonna have to use it again. I just keep it on my platform between my legs. <laughs> it just sits there. I love it, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that sounds like yeah. a sick fishery. All in all, between between your winter redfish, your tarpon, your snook. Um, how, how is the trout fishery? Is that something you spend, spend a lot of time on or is that like a, a backup? Like, all right, well, these things aren't working. We're going to go catch some trout. I don't really, it's not like, for, like we all have up there. So, and especially since Piney Point, it seemed like trout got hit the hardest. Um, Such we weren't weak seeing fish. hardly, yeah, we haven't seen like the numbers of trout that we had before that by any means since Piney Point. We're starting to see a little bit now and then. Um, more so as the past like six months or so, but, uh, yeah, trout aren't really something that you sight fish here. Um, you, you can go in like, you know, three to five foot depth. If you got a spin rod client or somebody that's learning, you put a heavy clouser on over a grass flat in like three to five feet and just have them chuck it out and chuck it out and chuck it out. And then eventually you'll catch a trout kind of thing, but it's not one of our places. Like, you know, you go to the East coast and they got these giant 30 inch trout that they'll sit there on top and you can cast it and we really don't have that here gotcha. unfortunately i wish we did but we don't right and and what would be an average size trout for tampa bay um i mean it depends on where you catch it but probably i'd say 15 to 20 inches 20 inches being on the really high side gotcha um i mean you definitely do get uh, every once in a while you'll see people i've had people catch 25 inch trout uh but i've never had anybody catch anywhere near a 30 inch trout sure right um, and yeah. they're, they're... at ahead. night they catch a lot of trout too. Um, okay. pre piney point. So we fish dock lights at night for snook and trout. Uh, and most year trout that way aren't getting over 20 inches, but they're very aggressive and they're a lot of fun. They sit there on the dock lights. Man, there's a lot of fun to be had on a dock light. Oh, it's, it's, it's great. Like that's why those five to eight trips a week, a lot of those I'll run doubles. You know, I'll run a tarpon trip during the day and then a night trip at night and the night trip works great for people that are just getting into fly fishing and want to get their feet wet and realize, you know, and they can't cast 50, 60 feet, you know, 
mm-hmm. I can get them within 20 feet of a dock light and I can get them in 20 feet within 20 feet of a hundred dock lights. And you just keep hitting them over and over and over dock light after dock light after dock light. And they learn it's a little bit harder because it's dark, obviously, but it's way, way, way more forgiving and it's very visual. So they can see the fly. They can see what it's doing. They can see how they need to move it and they can see how the fish eats it. Yeah. I haven't dock light fished, but probably two or three times since being a guide. And I haven't thought about mm-hmm. that till just now. And it made me really sad because <laughs> I used to love that. I mean, oh, it's awesome. I, you know, I had a little beater boat and me and my buddies would go out and, you know, fish dock. Like, of course we didn't have tarpon or snook. It was trout and redfish for us. Uh, yeah. Sheepshead, black drum, things like that. But, um, man, that, that is awesome to be able to do that on a fly rod with tarpon. That's really, really cool. Um, yeah, it's very fun. You got a preferred color of duck, like what color dock light? Do you, do you key in on any certain one? You mean color of fly? No, no, uh, like color light. Oh, we, color we, light. We certainly did. Uh, well, most of our lights are white and green. Um, white being the brightest, obviously, but they seem to not really, white and, white and green seem to be the two most popular. We do have some that are like, black lights almost but they're kind of you stare at those too long you get disoriented <laughs> and there's not there's not as many fish around the darker lights but yeah sure. green and white seem to be the key for us if it wasn't green we weren't stopping really yeah but then again you know like i said we were just a bunch of high schoolers in a beater boat you know like a, a <laughs> John boat. like we probably caught one fish at a green dock light and we're like well that's the only color that holds fish <laughs> Like it's just some conclusion we made right out the gate, but um. Yeah, I think it just depends on whatever light the the glass minnows want to be on. That's the truth. That's the, that's yeah. exactly right. Um, oh man, that's that's cool. It sounds like a super sick fishery. Um, can't wait to come experience it one day. Um, but before we jump off here, man, how can people find you? How can people book with you? And um, aside from that, how can people support? Tampa Bay Waterkeepers and and the things you guys got going on. That's a pretty loaded question. Yeah, no. So um, I'm at Captain Dustin Pack. I'm on social on Instagram at Captain Dustin Pack. My website is fly. My business is Fly Tide Charters. Uh, FlyTideCharters.com. Um, my phone number is on there. If you want to come down and fish Tampa Bay, I'd love to have you. And uh, Tampa Bay Water. We're at Tampa Bay Waterkeeper. No S on the end. So TampaBayWaterkeeper.org. Um, the best, easiest way to support us is to become a member a monthly, you know, you could pay 10, 20 bucks a month. If you'd like, we'd have different levels of membership. Um, and there's stuff that comes with that, uh, each membership and you get all of our newsletters and everything else and how else you can help further. So becoming a member helps us out immensely because we are a board. We have one paid employee and the rest of us are all volunteers. So we, we do it out of the kindness of our heart and try to, you know, and the love for our estuary to try to bring it back to what it once was. So, Yeah, that's right on, dude. Um, and, and anybody listening, I highly recommend, if you own a boat or like fly fishing, definitely give Captain Dustin Pack a follow. Because like <laughs> I said, I've picked up things and I've been running a boat for quite some time. And I'm like, well, dang, that's a that's a pretty good idea. (laughs) I need to start doing some more of them, but yeah, I need to, I was doing a lot of them early on and like every day I'm like, I gotta slow down. I'm gonna have ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You you, you can't blow your wad right out the gate, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's funny. Well, man, I really do appreciate you taking some time out of your 
busy schedule to sit down and chat a little bit with me. And uh, I look forward to getting on the boat with you sometime, whether that be in Florida or North Carolina. But I really do appreciate it, buddy. Of course. I appreciate you having me on, man. It was a lot of fun. All right, buddy. Thank you, everybody, for listening.